Welcome to Reviving Virtue, a podcast where we face the urgent challenges of today's world by exploring the crucial role of uncovering, together, a coherent moral narrative for our time. I'm your host, Jeffrey Anthony, on a quest to tackle liberalism's quandary and pave the way towards a more unified society. Join me on this journey as we delve into ethics, philosophy, and community building, seeking to create a common understanding that fosters human flourishing and harmony. Welcome to Reviving Virtue. I wrote this down in my notebook. How did it ever come to be allowed that the actions undertaken by firms are removed from contingency and enter a realm of necessity, thereby removing agency and most importantly, morality from the social process that firms engage in. I didn't add that last part, but that phrase, it's just business, that's been rattling around in my head a lot. And what does that really mean? And I've been thinking about this in the context of our, what's the phrase I'm trying to look for? Our society, which is crumbling from this idea that business, and I use the term firms all the time. I like to think of it in firms. It's just, I like the way that sits in my head, are not responsible to society, that they live outside of the idea of responsibility and the social relations which are imbued with responsibility. And this is where I come up with the idea of necessity when I just said that. So the idea that firms are removed from contingency, the idea that things happen and change and from moment to moment, that what might have worked 10 years ago is not going to work now, or maybe what didn't work 10 years ago will work now. That's a contingency. And necessity is the idea that what firms do, their actions are informed by some sort of logic that's woven into the fabric of our universe. It's like the laws of the universe. It's a science. What I'm saying is that's ridiculous. And I think this is where, like, how did we get to where we are today? How do we get into this, to this phase where, as I mentioned, and I think in one of my first videos, if not the first video, when I was studying and getting my master's in public administration and public policy, I wrote a paper wrote a couple papers on the Biden administration expanding the extended child tax credit, which gave every single family $250 or $300 per child based on the age, and how this essentially overnight wiped out childhood poverty in the United States. The only reason it didn't completely wipe it out is were the distributional roadblocks, which is not everyone has a checking account in the United States because the banking system, even though it's a public utility, they're operating by a public charter, they uh, don't allow everyone to get a bank account. I mean, they make up these arbitrary rules, and poor people can't get bank accounts. In an ideal world, if everyone had a checking account, essentially every child who is going to bed hungry on, let's say, night X, would go to bed with food in their tummies on night Y. Well, we figured out that problem, right? We like to hold up children in like this kind of like as ideals of American greatness who say, when I grow up, I want to solve poverty. Well, you know, and we did it. We did it. But then we decided, eh, I'd rather have children starve at night in the United States because that's what we did. And so this, you can go back to my first video or whatever it is where I talk about this. If you want to learn more, leave in the comments. Maybe I'll make a very detailed. I could probably do an hour-long YouTube video showing all the papers that I've read on this, all the charts, the entire story of how it came to be. I can get into that. But this gets to my idea of contingency and necessity. 
that a business, a firm, is operating within a, a field of logics that are woven into the fabric of the universe. And that by taking on that framing, something very important gets removed, and that is morality. Because morality is action. Morality does not exist outside of human action. There is no such thing as morality that exists in some transcendental state. Now, this is the genius of the capitalist system that was born out of the logics of rationality, out of the enlightenment, instrumental reason, that they were able to create a system that said what firms do, they are not embedded within the same moral logics as an individual is. But also that idea of an individual, that they created the idea, this mythology of an individual. And within the individual, it's, that's where morality was put into, is that morality was a public, was in the public sphere. But with the rise of enlightenment and rationality and capitalism, morality was turned inward. It was up to the individual to work on their inner morality. And through that process, society would get better. Anyone who's not an idiot would understand that that's not how the way the world works. And also the people who constructed this mythology understood that too. Thank you, John Locke. Got one of his books over here. But what I'm reading right now, among others, I should say, is John Dewey's Human Nature and Conduct. And I'm, I just started it. And I read the introduction by Murray G. Murphy, which is very good. But then, you know, I read Dewey's little introduction here too. And only chapter one. I, I want to read something from Dewey here. Because he actually, so I didn't, so I've been going through all these thoughts in my head. And then I picked this book up and I'm like, oh, Dewey is talking about exactly what I'm wrestling with right now. I'm a big fan of Dewey, if you haven't noticed yet. I really think Dewey needs to be reincorporated back into our culture. He really thought about a lot of this stuff. He's not perfect, like no one's perfect, but he's got some great ideas and he's really thought through these things deeply. Now, I'm going to read a little bit from this book here. So he says on page eight, this is, by the way, John Dewey's The Middle Works, volume 14. And he says, if we turn from concrete effects upon character to theoretical issues, we single out the discussion regarding freedom of will as typical of the consequences that come from separating morals from human nature, separating morals from the actions of humans, putting them in some transcendental state. Men are wearied with bootless discussions. You got to love that arcane language and anxious to dismiss it as metaphysical subtlety. But nevertheless, it contains within itself the most practical of all moral questions, the nature of freedom and the means of achieving it. Isn't that what we all fight over all the time? What does it mean to be free? And how do we become free? The separation of morals from human nature leads to a separation of human nature in its moral aspects from the rest of nature and from ordinary social habits and endeavors which are found in business, there we go, civic life, and the run of championships and recreations. That's an interesting thing. I'm not really quite sure what, you, what he means by championships and recreations, but whatever. These things are thought of at most as places where moral notions need to be applied, not as places where moral ideas are to be studied and moral energies generated. In short, the severance of morals from human nature ends by driving morals inward from the public open out of doors. So that's what I just said at the beginning of this video, that the idea that morals were taken from a public sphere and driven inward. And this was an intentional project. And Dewey wrote about this 1922. 
just read a little bit of that again to get back into the flow here. The public open out of doors air and light of day into the obscurity of the privacies of the inner life. That's what has happened with morals. The significance of the traditional discussion of free will is that it reflects precisely a separation of moral activity from nature and the public life of men. Ding, ding, ding. So, one has to turn from moral theories to the general human struggle for political, economic, and religious liberty, for freedom of thought, speech, assemblage, and creed, to find significant reality in the conception of freedom of will. Then one finds himself out of the stiflingly close atmosphere of an inner consciousness, and in the open-air world, the cost of confining moral freedom to the to an inner region is the almost complete severance of ethics from politics and economics. How convenient, right? The former is regarded as summed up in edifying exhortations. That's like kind of being like the former being the, the inner region where we're moralizing. You'll see this all the time. Like, oh, look, it's moralizing. He's saying that's what happens. Said that in 1922. Uh, and... The latter as connected with arts of expediency separated from larger issues of the good. Arts of expediency. That's business, right? Where we are, business is business. We just got to get it done. And we got to find the most expedient way to get things done, to make the most profit. Oh, to make the world better, right? Because if we're more expedient, then the world is better. But morals are not supposed to be part of this. Again, very convenient. In short, there are two schools of social reform. One bases itself upon the notion of morality, which springs from an inner freedom. I think we can relate to that. A lot of conservatives and right-wing libertarians will jump up in joy when they just heard that sentence. Something mysteriously cooped up within personality. It asserts that the only way to change institutions is for men to purify their own hearts, and that when this has been accomplished, change of institutions will follow of itself. That's ridiculous. The other school denies the existence of any such inner power, and in so doing conceives that it has denied all moral freedom. It says that men are made what they are by the forces of the environment, that human nature is purely malleable, and that till institutions are changed, nothing can be done. Uh-oh. Well, then do we, can we do anything? Clearly, this leaves the outcomes as hopeless as does an appeal to an inner rectitude of benevolence, for it provides no leverage for change of environment. Again, very convenient. How convenient? Almost seems intentional. It throws us back upon accident, usually disguised as a necessary law of history or evolution, and trusts to some violent change symbolized by civil war to usher in an abrupt millennium. There is an alternative to being penned in between these two theories. We can recognize that all conduct is interaction between elements of human nature and the environment, natural and social. Then we shall see that progress proceeds in two ways, and that freedom is found in that kind of interaction, which maintains an environment in which human desire and choice count for something. There are, in truth, forces in man as well as without him, meaning be outside of our inner self, right, in society. While they are infinitely frail in comparison with exterior forces, yet they may 
have the support of foreseeing and contriving intelligence. Now, intelligence there, you have to understand we're, we're speaking with Dewey. Dewey's idea of intelligence is a method. It's not a descriptor. When we look at the problems as one of an adjustment to be intelligently attained, the issue shifts from within personality to an engineering issue. The establishment of arts of education and social guidance, a.k.a. culture. Dewey just laid it out. Actually, I think he gave this in a lecture in 1918. What is it today? 2023. So over 100 years ago, Dewey was talking about essentially what we're living through right now, except what I would say what we're living through right now is this hyper version of what Dewey was going through in 1918. Of course, that was the end of World War One. which so like what's going on? Like, how come we haven't moved anywhere on this? Because I people look at Dewey and they just like they just think, oh, Dewey. Yeah, he was a nice pragmatist philosopher. Very quaint stuff. But man, he just laid it out. If you are to follow what Dewey is saying here, we could not live in a world where a firm, a company, a, a multinational firm could come in and just do whatever they want with complete disregard for the moral consequences, for the consequences of their actions and the morality embedded within those actions. You know, so this is my podcast, Reviving Virtue. I'm trying to figure out other ways that we can start creating new narratives, new culture. As Dewey says right here, the establishment of arts of education and social guidance. I read social guidance as culture. And that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast, Reviving Virtue, is how do we establish the arts of education to get these ideas into the public domain for people to say, wait, why is it again that we have allowed actions undertaken by firms to be seen as necessary rather than contingent, meaning that they are not responsible for their outcomes, that morality is not part of their conception of society, that by somehow the actions of firms, the logics of that are woven into the fabric of the universe. How, how did we get to that point? But we need more people asking these questions. And as Dewey says, as he says right here on page nine, it throws us back upon accident, usually disguised as a necessary law of history and, or evolution, and trust to some violent change, right? Symbolized by a civil war or some mass, mass death, like the French Revolution, the American Revolution. I have a young son. I'm trying to find a way to articulate these ideas to avoid this seemingly necessary law that says that the only way we can change these things is through some violent action. Must it be that way? I, I hope that we can find a way to get around that because I fear that without us talking about these things in the open public, educating ourselves, the arts of education to imbue our culture with new language and vocabulary to describe this world we're in. And one thing is like what's interesting, he mentions that like politics and economics, morality has been removed. But what's interesting about like modern America, the American politician embodies the part of our culture where they're like these poles that attract effective emotions. Everyone's angry in our country and getting angrier and angrier because of this system that we have set up where firms are not morally responsible for their actions. And everyone's like, what is going on? But then you have the politician. And what happens to the politician? They become that node, that nodal point where all this energy just gets sucked onto them, glommed onto them. They become the magnets for this outcry of affection, and ang which is anger. But there, it's not really directed at economics. We're told, we're taught that economics work in the realm of necessity. 
And that is the biggest lie that we're living through because economics is a social construct. And, th and it's not really that difficult to, to, to look at, though. Like, why do we have inflation? Well, n have you noticed that not a single economist has the right answer to that? Because it's a social system. It's not, like I said, uncovering some laws of nature. There's a billion, trillion different things happening every second that inform this economic system. And there's a lot of things happening within it. But the point that I'm trying to get at I don't want to, is that it's socially constructed. It's socially mediated. It's not a necessary function of the universe. But we're told that it is. And so we're supposed to not get angry. We're not supposed to direct our anger at the action of firms. Instead, we put them on, on, on politicians. They're like the magnets for this anger. But, but we, we saw what happened in 2020. What well, we saw in 2016, and then in 2020, this anger, the, the politicians are no longer able to suck up all this anger, and now it's creating actual physical violence on a massive scale. We have to be honest about this. It's happening on a massive scale, and it's happening daily, too, through all the type of violence that is occurring in our country. It's incredibly violent, the United States. Anyone who's watching this who's ever been to Europe or any place else outside the United States, even in Asia, go to Canada. When you come back here, if you leave here for any period of time, like not just like a one-week vacation. Like I used to tour. I've mentioned I used to be a professional musician. So I leave the United States for three to four months at a time and be touring the world. I come back to America, and you're just like instantly hit by the amount of violence and the number of things that have become just naturalized here that you just don't see in other countries. We just make it normal. We, we normalize it, and it's ridiculous. There's so much violence. And then now, in the last five years or so, it's just amped up beyond belief because... We are not allowed to go, well, hey, hey, hold on. Th these interaction between firms, these multinational firms, like, they're having moral consequences, and they're responsible for those. But we don't, we, we're taught we're not allowed to say that. Anyways, I just started this book, Human Nature and Conduct. I'm reading it with, with a book club, which is something new for me. I, I haven't really done that before. And I'm going to be talking about that a little bit more, but also I'm just going to be posting about these things. I'm, I'm just throwing this stuff out there. I've noticed that I throw things out there and some people respond to me and say that, oh, this is really interesting to think about. That's really encouraging to me. If there's something you want me to focus on or maybe clarify further, put it in the comments. I'm down for it. I might make a video on it. So this is the end of this video. I'll see you in the next video. Thank you and be well. And this is special for my podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in on the Reviving Virtue podcast. I do want to recommend that if you are a YouTuber at all, if you, uh, well, not necessarily a YouTuber, but someone that uses YouTube, please head on over there, subscribe to my channel, Reviving Virtue. You can see me put out a bunch of other videos that I don't post here on my Reviving Virtue feed. I have two new interviews scheduled for the month of September. I am working on booking a few more guests. I'm also working on my personal book right now and some other projects. That's why I haven't been posting as regularly in the early days. Uh, as we talked about in this episode, I am currently reading Human Nature and Conduct. I plan on doing some more work on that, and I might try to find one or two people to interview to discuss this book. I've just started it, and as you could tell from this episode, the book really resonates with me. Uh, I may decide to do a super deep dive into Dewey and start diving into uh, some of his other books that maybe are not as familiar. I'm finding that I'm a big fan of his, his way of viewing the world. If you can, you know, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get this. This will really help me out. I'm working hard. I'm pushing this out to more people. And again, head on over to the YouTube channel and give me a subscribe and a like. It'll make a big difference in 
I appreciate that a ton. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.